As many of you know at this point, Meredith and I worked for several years at Willow Creek Community Church, a place that had a very strong culture for good and bad. (laughs) There was a very strong sense of this is who we are, this is how we do things around here, and one aspect of that culture was that one of the worst sins you could be guilty of as part of a church staff, was what Willow's leadership called creating noise. Noise was what happened when there was any sort of pushback, questioning why we were doing things a certain way, creating disunity. Unity, after all, is a biblical value. Paul says so time and time again. And as with most things that I wish were different about Willow, let's say, You can see where this idea comes from, because Paul does talk about unity and the dangers of disunity. And you don't want some punk kid low-level staffer talking to anyone who will listen about how leadership are idiots who don't know what they're doing. I get that. But noise was defined in a much broader sense than that. And that's where things get a bit troublesome. One fellow staff person, friend of ours, said to Meredith at one point, she said it this way, like, I know they want me pointing to their face, but I'm not sure I can actually be a person of color in this culture. Now, Willow isn't alone in this, of course. Most churches operate on a similar principle. Sure, they'll say everyone is welcome here. Anyone can join us. But the unspoken second half of that sentence is so long as they accept our culture as is. So long as they don't rock the boat, so long as they assimilate to who we are and how we do things. We're going to keep doing things our way, and we'd love for all sorts of people who look all sorts of ways to become just like us. Sing our songs, worship in our style, dress like us, whether that's suits or Tommy Bahama or fancy sneakers and shirts with sleeves just short enough to let the end of your arm sleeves peek out. No noise allowed. And the practical effect of the stance, whether intentional or not, conscious or unconscious, is that those outside the dominant culture, whatever that might be, are labeled as noisy. Those who don't or won't or can't assimilate are made to feel not welcome. And like Willow, these churches treat any difference by referring back to Paul and Paul's repeated calls for unity in the church. These people who are questioning our culture and how we do things are creating disunity. And so it's their fault they don't fit, not ours. Verses like Galatians 3.28 are referred to, that in Christ there is no longer Jew or Greek, there is no longer slave or free, there is no longer male and female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. The differences that used to separate, they don't exist anymore. We're all one unified family. So why won't you fit into it? This verse is interpreted in a similar way to the description of America as a melting pot. Everyone with all their differences blends together into one culture that just so happens to look a lot like the dominant culture, maybe with a few assimilated ethnic accents on it. But that's okay because we're colorblind. We don't see race. There is no longer Jew and Greek. After all, like Paul said, we are in a series that we're calling Following Their Lead where we're looking at what we can learn from black theologians about reading the Bible that we wouldn't see without their insights. And this week, as we look at the main topic of the book of Galatians from the perspective of black theologians, I think we're going to see very clearly the value of this exercise. So first, let's talk a bit about the big picture of Galatians to kind of set the stage. Paul is writing to the church in a city called Galatia in response to what he sees as a major problem there an urgent threat to the very gospel itself. He begins his letter with these words in chapter 1, verse 6. 
I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. This is straight out of the, you have gone after idols and need to turn back to God playbook that we've seen in Jeremiah and in Matthew. And then from there, Paul goes on to an extensive defense in the next two chapters, really, of his own mission as an apostle to the Gentiles, saying that it had been ratified by all the other leaders of the church, like Peter and James, that he should go and tell the Gentiles the good news. And then Paul recounts a story where he confronts Peter for having stopped eating with Gentile Christians, which might seem like it's irrelevant to the topic at hand of the Galatians turning to a different gospel, but it isn't, because the manner in which they are turning away from the gospel is this. It seems that some people have come and told them that in order to really be followers of Jesus, in order to really be saved, they need to become Jews. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah after all, and therefore his saving work was done for the Jewish people. Gentiles are welcome to belong to this new family of God, but only by becoming Jews. This is what Paul is reacting against, because this is a new gospel, a different one than the one Paul himself had introduced. Instead of being justified and made right with God through faith, that is through putting our trust in Jesus and following Jesus, this new gospel says we are justified by becoming Jewish. Now, it would take us too far afield today to get into all the nitty-gritty on, on this, but this is the root of Paul's distinction between being saved by faith and being saved by works of the law. And this is much of what Galatians is taken up with. But works of the law does not mean, as many have taken it over the years, doing good things, earning our salvation by being good people. Works of the law as the black scholars I read pointed out, and this is echoed by N.T. Wright and others as well, works of the law meant specifically becoming Jewish. The works Paul is talking about are circumcision, Sabbath observance, food laws, the things that marked one out as being Jewish rather than Gentile. Those are works of the law. Paul is contrasting with faith. Paul is setting up a contrast in Galatians between a gospel of salvation by Jewishness and a gospel of salvation by faith, not of earning salvation versus getting it as a free gift. Jewish people thought that salvation was a free gift that they got by being a part of the chosen people. But Paul has worked his whole ministry life as an apostle to bring the good news to the Gentiles that they too can put their trust in Jesus and become a part of the family of God. But now the Galatians are coming to believe that they must become Jewish first and then will be a part of the family of God. And this is why he concludes his letter with these words from chapter 6, verse 15. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything but a new creation is everything. Circumcision and uncircumcision, being Jewish or not, doing the works of the law or not, are both irrelevant to the gospel that Paul is introducing because the gospel is that anyone who puts their trust in Jesus and then follows Jesus will be made right with God. Okay, so that is the big picture of what Galatians is about. You Gentile Christians do not need to become Jewish. You don't need to keep the Jewish law by doing the things that mark you as a Jew in contrast to being a Gentile. Instead, you can be Gentile 
Christians. In fact, by becoming Jewish, you're showing that you don't actually trust Jesus at all, but instead you trust the Torah to bring salvation. And that is not the gospel in Paul's view. Now, what does that have to do with where we started today? Well, here's what struck me while I was reading black theologians like Brad Braxton in particular um, talk about Galatians and Paul. They make the point that what is going on here in Galatia, when you really break it down, is that there is a dominant culture, a Jewish one within the church, that is demanding assimilation from the new group that is joining in. Oh, anyone can be a part of what we're doing here. Everyone is welcome, so long as they become like us. So long as they become Jews like us and do things the way we do things, then sure, join in. And black theologians, of course, are well-placed to see this reality because it's the same thing black people have been asked to do to be a part of the American church and American culture more broadly for 400 years. The black experience in the American church has been one in which their salvation, their access to God, was dictated to them by the white dominant culture. In other words, they were justified by the works of the law of whiteness. First, by accepting their status as slaves and diligently obeying their masters, because Paul said that too, after all. And then by assimilating to the existing white churches on those white churches' terms. The parallels between the experience of an African-American Christian and a Galatian Gentile Christian are so strong that black theologians see exactly what's going on here. They recognize this dynamic. They know what Paul is reacting against and calling the church to. And most centrally for our purposes today, this means that reading Galatians 3.28 as unity through colorblind melting potness isn't just a little naive or potentially problematic. It's actually the exact opposite of what Paul is saying. Like our asking for unity through assimilation is the position of the Galatians for which Paul's reactionary response is, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul's point in Galatians is not unity through assimilation. That's easy. That's the way of the world. Paul's point, as Braxton points out so clearly, is the much harder, much more countercultural, much more unnatural unity in diversity. Gentiles don't become Jews in order to be one with their Jewish brothers and sisters. They are one as Gentiles with their Jewish brothers and sisters. And the same is true today. The attitude of everyone is welcome so long as they're just like us is the very attitude that Paul sees as contrary to the gospel in the church in Galatia. In other words, churches today need to be careful not to chase the very same false idol of unity that the Galatian church had chased, because that path takes us down a path away from Jesus. Listening to our black brothers and sisters who are coming from a place of having been asked to assimilate to a dominant culture for hundreds of years enables us to hear what Paul is actually saying in Galatians and the challenge it actually offers to churches from the dominant culture today. It seems that the fullness of God's plan for the kingdom of God depends upon diversity and that unity for its own sake is actually an idol, contrary to God's plans for the church and the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, in other words, is not a melting pot. It's a place where the diversity of the family is one of its most important characteristics. 
because that diversity confirms for us that salvation comes only from putting our trust in Jesus, not from who we are or the culture that we are a part of. I think to take this a step further, this all illuminates for us a basic characteristic, not just of the kingdom of God, but of God's self. God, it seems, deeply desires diversity. We've just talked about the church in this respect, but if we look at another clue from a very different area of study, I think we can see that this is much broader than just the church. Science tells us that God chose to create life through the process of evolution, a method that is tailor-made to create diversity, almost infinite diversity. One could think of any number of ways to create life, and it's as if God chose the one that was the most dynamic, the most collaborative, the most diversity-producing possible. Perhaps we might say that was intentional on God's part? God's dream, it seems, is for a united creation that represents maximal diversity, not a homogenous false unity through assimilation. And that has important implications for what sort of church we should be. We talk about diversity as a core value of Pomona Valley Church, that we would celebrate the image of God in those who are different from us. And black theologians show us that this is not just some nice sounding buzzword, They actually give us the theological underpinnings for why this is necessary, not optional for us, and why this is a value that we will need to continually be working towards. Because the natural way for any organization in this world to operate is to drift towards an established culture and then expect any newcomers to fit in or get out. But the church is called not to be formed by what is natural for any organization in this world, but instead to do the unnatural and celebrate the differences and diversities in our midst. We use stories as one tool for that here, of course. And one of the things that we did while together was that we listened to one another's stories about what made us who we are, what made us unique. And one of the things that we practiced as we listened to each other's stories is to listen for that and celebrate that diversity. If you're like me, the most natural thing to do when listening to stories from someone else is to look for areas of commonality. Oh, I've had that happen too. I know that feeling. Oh, that's just like when I had this happen to me, that sort of thing. Stories can be a way of drawing out our common humanity, seeing that we are more alike than different. And that's a good thing. But if we are going to become a church that celebrates the diversity that God desires for God's family, then we actually need to go a step further. We need to be able to hear another story and hear and celebrate the parts that have no connection to our own story. The parts that don't make us feel, oh, we're all the same after all, but instead make us uncomfortable because they aren't our experience at all. We don't know what that's like, the differences. What if every time we heard a difference and our knee-jerk natural response was to kind of lean back a bit? What if instead we used that feeling of discomfort to remind ourselves that we as a church We're on the right track. What if we listened to our black brothers and sisters and turned that discomfort or confusion into a sense of, isn't it great that that person is so different from me? And yet here we are together. That's exactly what God intended. I'm convinced there's nowhere else on earth that can happen outside of the church. And so that's what we practice together as we listen to one another's stories this past Sunday, is to listen not for the similarities, but for the differences, and then to celebrate those together, because that is what the kingdom of God is all about. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.